Hey there, Interweb. Uh, we're going to have another road trip. Uh, this time we're, we've been invited by uh, listener Scott Phillips uh, to the Coonan Brewing Company at 26,000 Grossbeck Road in Clinton Township, Michigan. Uh, we're going to be meeting there at on June 7th at 7.30 p.m. Uh, so I uh, hope to see you there. And you can find details about that at the website, graceontap-podcast.com. And if you would like to be like Scott... And everybody wants to be like Scott. And you ho- want to host a future road trip of Grace on Tap, sh- shoot us an email at graceontap.podcast at gmail.com. Johann Eck, a powerful debater from the University of Ingolstadt, was regretting his temper. A few months earlier, Eck had published The Obelisks, which was an attack on Martin Luther and Luther's evangelical theology. Now, Eck had heard that Luther's dean at the University of Wittenberg, Andreas Karlstadt, was in the process of writing a rebuke to the Obelisks. Eck was regretting the Obelisks because he knew that he had gone too far in his attack on Luther. He knew he couldn't defend everything he had said. When Eck heard that Karlstadt was going to challenge the obelisks, he quickly wrote to him to ask him to drop it, but it was too late. Karlstadt had already published his rebuke of Eck and the obelisks. Now Eck felt he had no choice. He had to defend himself in a public debate. What nobody could have predicted was that the debate between Eck and Luther in Leipzig in 1519 would be a major turning point for the Reformation, cementing Eck's role as the lead adversary of the Reformation. I'm Mike Yagley. And I am Evan Gertner, and this is Grace on Tap. Now, Grace on Tap is a podcast where we discuss the history surrounding the documents and ideas from the Lutheran Reformation. Uh, this, this episode, we're going to be focusing on the Leipzig debate. Uh, like we said in the opening there, the Leipzig debate was a major turning point in, in really cementing Luther... I'm going to say, from a from a Roman Catholic perspective, it cemented Luther as a heretic, and there was almost a lot of the arguments that we see, even I'm not going to say to the present day, but certainly for the next almost 500 years, uh, the those these were the the standard arguments against Luther were those a lot of the same arguments that that Eck brought up first in the in the Leipzig debate. So Eck has written, in preparation for this debate in Leipzig, a series of theses, most of them against the indulgences in the 95 Thesis, but key to the Leipzig debate's role in history is Eck's uh, discussion of what it means to have Luther debate the church and the authority of the church, the magisterium of the church, the teaching role of the church, and that Eck says that Luther's errors have brought harm to the church. Now, before we get into the Leipzig debate, we want to take a little bit of time and bring everybody back up. We covered a lot of ground. Bring everybody back up to speed on all the things that have happened since Cardinal Cajetan had his quote-unquote, air quotes, fatherly talk with Martin Luther in the fall of 1518. So at the Diet of Augsburg in 1518, Cardinal Cajetan had sought to get Luther to revoke, to recant, um, to come back to Rome for a hearing. Whatever it was, Cajetan was supposed to silence Luther. 
But what ended up happening was Luther got out of there. He snuck out in the middle of the night before everything, or in the early morning, but uh, before uh, anything had really happened. Uh, and and Luther went back to Wittenberg, and we've spent I'm, I think four episodes on this period between the the proceedings at Augsburg and 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 the Leipzig debate, which is only it's like eight months, nine months. And right? a few times I've wanted to accelerate us to after the Leipzig debate, and you're like, no, we're still talking before the Leipzig debate. Well, a lot happened. A lot, <laughs> a lot happens. <laughs> a lot happened in this period. So let's let's sort of go back through the those last four episodes, sort of pull them all together, and just have a one sentence uh, summary of okay, what 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 were you guys talking about there? So let let's start with. Um, um, you know, Luther goes back to 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 Wittenberg, and and there's threats on his life now, right? And and so he's going and he's looking into scripture, and he's looking into uh, history. He's looking at Augustine. He's looking at all this, trying trying to make sure that he isn't off in the weeds. He's actually really trying to make sure that what he's saying is true. Luther does not want to bring harm to the church. That may be X accusation. But in preparation for this meeting at the Leipzig debate, Luther has been seeing how his new evangelical theology would help the common man. That's episodes eight and nine for us. And so, yeah, in episode eight, we gave sort of, uh, we actually had to take a step back, I think like 500 years to look at the uh, what what the world was like coming into 1500 and then episode 9 we we mapped out okay how what how did luther seek to change that so that was episode 8 and 9 then in episode 10 uh we talked about the luther's epiphany he had this great epiphany uh, at least according to the timing in his writings he places it right in the same era between the between uh, Augsburg and Leipzig which is hard for historians because Luther's own writings that he does in preparation for um, the German edition of his writings, or the Latin edition, whatever it is. Latin. Latin, Latin edition, yeah. In the 1530s, he writes... It was an edition of the Latin writings, that's what it was. It was a compilation the, of the Latin writings. Yeah, so in that introduction, he walks through the movement through uh, being a monk to his new evangelical theology. He places it in this time period. Historians want to place it earlier. Right. And they look back and say, well, it probably was this moment or is this moment. Luther himself places it at this time when he's trying to figure out how big of an argument does he really have. So, so this is this deep, like I said earlier, his life is under, is, is at risk. He wants to make sure he's on the right track. He's doing a lot of studying and he comes to this epiphany in his writings. He, he says it's at this time when he realizes the, the, the whole concept of passive righteousness. And we spent quite a bit of time talking about that, almost a half an episode on that in episode 10. Uh, and then at the same time, there's all sorts of political developments, right? Emperor Maximilian dies. It opens the door for Frederick the Wise to maneuver. And uh, in his maneuverings, he is protecting Luther. He's protecting the sovereignty of German states. And that's episode 11. So that, that, was, that was a huge, huge political issue. Uh, and then we also, in episode 10, we covered uh, the good Mr. Karl von Miltitz. And this man explains why... Luther wanted Andreas Karlstadt to not answer Eck because Luther had promised Miltitz that he would be quiet on the issue of indulgences as long as his opponents remained quiet. And so right here, this brings us right up to the Leipzig debate. There was this agreement between Luther and Miltitz, Miltitz speaking for the Pope, 
that Luther will be quiet if his opponents will be quiet. But Eck kind of, in Luther's opinion, breaks the agreement. Yes. And that gives Luther the ability to write. And so Luther as and Karlstadt and Eck are these three people that are about to enter into a tempest. And the debate is in some ways by designation between Eck and Karlstadt. But the issues are really about Luther. And even Eck, in preparation for the debate, says he mostly wants to just talk to Luther. So so who was Johann Eck? Okay, so Johann Eck, let's start with his name. Johann Eck. Eck wasn't his name. No, that's where he was from. So his real name Eck, was... A Yo- city in Germany. That was, you know, it'd be like calling you Mike Brighton. It has a good ring to it. I, I think that's better than Mike Yakeley. You know, I always, I, I always feel sorry for my my wife who had to take on. I mean, the, I'm very proud of the Yakeley name, but it's not a pretty name. And what's know? her maiden name? Her maiden name was Marquis. Okay, so there so, you go. Yeah. That that has a poetic ring to it. I can see the grief. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. now his name was Johann Mayer, uh, and everyone called him by his place of birth, Eck, which was a city in Germany near Augsburg. And it's, it's now called Egg on Derguns. Um, there's articles that are a little unclear, but it seems he called himself Johann Mayer or Meyer of Eck. Um, so Meyer of Eck. He may have called himself Johann of Eck, but that seems a little weird as well. Anyways, Luther refers to him as Johann Eck or just sometimes Eck. Uh, and, and it almost he, sounds like something like uh, I'm like clearing my throat. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the thing is, is that Luther, as he's becoming uh, less fond of Eck, he calls him Eck. And, yes. and uh, that, uh, unfortunately, that sort of bleeds into our discussion. We just call him Eck. Yes. Than, you know, so he's about the same age as Luther. Um, he is rising up in the ranks of university academic respect um, alongside the same path as Luther. Uh, he's a gifted debater, uh, particularly popular with the banking family of the Fuggers. Uh, prior to 1516, it was against church law to charge interest in loans. If somebody charged interest, they could be excommunicated. Eck was one of the critical theologians to support the charging of interest in debates. Partly due to his work, the church changed their position. So I, I feel like Eck was the think tank that provided the legislation that then could be introduced in the church that gave permission for the Fugers to do what they did. And, and, and this was, and, and the, at this point, as I was doing my research on this, the, the church actually regulated how much interest could be charged. It was you know, so they were like the Federal Reserve. They were almost like the Federal Reserve. They were saying, "Well, you know, if you're going to be loaning money, then you can only loan it at such and such. Otherwise, if you go above that, then it's a sin." Well, usury is a sin, and and that to call uh, to charge an unreasonable interest that is designed purely of punishment of another person's need for money at that moment, that is, I think, a dangerous sin, and you know the. The payday loans and things like that are something even today. I think there's questions well, about that. Credit so, card companies charge twenty percent. You know, to, I mean, the, the the thing is, is that, and so you know, this is thanks to Eck. So <laughs> when you are late on your credit card bill, just say Eck under your breath as you write that check. <laughs> Eck, it's all your fault. Now the thing is, is that and this is actually one area that I get a little irritated. You know, when when we have all these people, you know, Bible thumping about, you know, this is. You know, people shouldn't do this. People shouldn't. I don't hear a whole lot of people complaining about, you know, usury. 
And there are, you know, it seems like everybody has a favorite sin that they like to talk about. Yeah. And usury doesn't seem like it's a real, and there are quite a few of them that, that are like that, where they just don't quite find. find yeah, we've got to get into the book of Amos more to find that critique of the businessman that on, on one hand wears his cloak of respectability, and on the other hand, he pushes just the needles on his neighbor to the point where his needle, his neighbor is suffering too much. Let's let's go back to a, what is the beginning point for this debate. Eck has released a document called the Obelisks. Now the Obelisks, I, I actually I really love that name. Obelisks is a is a great name for a document. I, I, that's my what own draws name. you into that name. I don't know. It's just got it's got some flair to it. You know. Now Luther responds with something called the asterisks, and if if I just had to pick. You know, okay, is it, it's, you know, am I going to pick which one? I, I, I yes. would take the obelisks. I think obelisks is a better... Well, and the names obelisks and asterisks are related to margin notes that theologians would write in their lecture notes as a professor or in, as they're reading something. Oh, they might okay. place an obelisk as a, or an asterisk, and that would be f- kind of a shorthand as you're reading something, depending on those margin notes, that would give you a clue as you're scanning back to the pages then you're reviewing your notes that you wrote in the margin. Those marks will tell you what you think of that particular paragraph. See, I think of obelisks as, as like an Egyptian monument. As a, yeah, you know, like the, the the Washington Monument. I think of as an obelisk. Which type yeah, thing. and that's... And, and, and so when when I think of an obelisk, I, I think and uh, here in uh, in Ohio, I was I was riding my bike on some of the rails to trails and the old milestones. Some of the old milestones were obelisks. Mm-hmm. You know, as you ride your bike down the those. Lincoln Highway in Pennsylvania, you can find the mile markers with little obelisks as well. So I was sort of thinking, you know, obelisks, when when I see obelisk, or when I hear the word obelisk, I think, oh, milestones. This is something that's, you know, these are going to be the critical points. These are the critical... The, I just thought it was a great name. That's all. So um, let's let's go into... So so Karlstadt, so he, he writes... Uh, Eck writes the obelisks. Yeah. Luther writes the asterisks. And Eck doesn't respond to the asterisks. Eck just uh, wants to let the whole thing die. He realizes that he's gone too far with the obelisks and he's going to let the whole thing die. An interesting thing for you as you think of these big Egyptian monuments also oh, yeah. is that an obelisk would have the look of, say, like a dagger. Um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. so... and. The word obelisk also can mean roasting spit. Um, so it's, it, it is a great name. It is. So Eck believes he is providing the dagger that skewers Luther's positions. Ah. Or another way you could think of it is that he is providing the roasting spit upon which Luther will slowly have to suffer as he the errors of his ways are revealed. So, so, and then there's a lot going into these titles yeah. besides just being kind of weird. Yeah. I, I, I thought that was sort of cool. So, yes. so is there any meaning to Luther's title of the asterisks? Well, the asterisk is just another symbol that's used to indicate footnotes in writings. Okay. And so I, it's not as, it's not as powerful. It doesn't have as much symbolism. As not the nearly as fun. No. Yeah. So, oh, well, yes. Yeah. So one, one to the, the Catholics on this one. We'll, we'll, we'll go with, so let's, uh. So Karlstadt, though, he answers back with like just, um, like a tidal wave of theses. <laughs> it is, I, it's I almost. It's a tsunami. Think, it's a thesis it's a tsunami. 307 theses against Eck. A 370. Three hundred and three hundred. At least what that's what I saw was three hundred and seventy. It's like three hundred and seventy. I'm just gonna make you like tap out because you just can't handle how much I'm writing. (laughs) 
Now, Eck hears about the 300 theses, 370 thesis, and he wrote to Carl Stott to just drop it. It's like, you know, come on. I write something, and you answer a 370. This is going too far. But Carl Stott answers, they're already published. Um, and now that Eck has been publicly challenged, he publishes his response. He asks for a debate. And, and an interesting thing is Luther and Eck had met in Augsburg when back in 1518 when Luther is in Augsburg with Cardinal Cajetan. Eck is there. Okay. Okay. Uh, so so the, so now we have Luther and Eck. So it gives a little bit of time frame. All of this is happening in probably the summer of 1518. All this, the obelisks and the asterisks all going back and forth is happening probably around the summer of 1518. And it, and then boom, you know, fifth, in, in the fall of fifteen eighteen, they're 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 planning this debate. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, and the debate is going to take place at the University of Leidenberg, where uh, Duke George of Saxony, the University of Le- I mean Leipzig. What did I say? Leidenberg. I was con- Wittenberg and Leipzig together. <laughs> okay. Uh, so we have Frederick the Wise. He started the University of Wittenberg. Yeah. And that is in electoral Saxony, and that's where Martin Luther is a professor. University of Leipzig is Duke George of Saxony's. Um, that's his university. Oh, and he wants the debate there to give some credibility. And because Wittenberg's getting all this press. And so Duke George is like, have the debate here. Okay. And now Duke George of Saxony and Frederick the Wise of Saxony sound like, are they ruling the same territory? Oddly, no, they're not. One is electoral Saxony and one is ducal Saxony. Okay. Okay. Now, now, as you follow Luther's thinking leading up to this debate, he's being told, hey, 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 settle down, relax, be quiet, let them be quiet, just no need to kick the bear. And and Luther seems like he's getting a little more rambunctious leading up to this debate, especially on the issue of papal authority. Yeah. Well, you know, the lead up to the debate is filled with its own, uh, like, be quiet, Miltitz is saying, we shouldn't talk, and... Eck said the disputation should be held in Leipzig. Duke George is interested in that. But, you know, the theological faculty at Leipzig in December, uh, are 1518, are talking about whether they want to host it or not. Even while they're still talking about whether the university faculty wants to host it, Eck publishes the announcement that the debate's going to take place. Now Leipzig has to do it. Okay, okay. I so, didn't know that. But the role, the question of the Pope is really, in everything we're going to talk about today, remember this about the Leipzig debate. It defines the church. Um, Now, it's not that, I mean, the church stands and falls on who Christ is. But for Martin Luther, it's at the Leipzig debate where he narrows in that the church is wherever the word of God is preached and the sacraments are administered because Jesus is the one who builds, shapes, and forms the church. And for Eck... It's something different. The church is where the Pope has authority. Very good. So you can see the battle lines being drawn. Now, Now Luther, in the months leading up to the debate, he wrote, and I, I captured this because I thought that this was sort of interesting, to give you an idea of where Luther's head is. He says, I am studying the decrees of the Pope, and the uh, decrees of the Popes, in preparation for my disputation in Leipzig. And, and then he has this in parentheses, I whisper this in your ear, I do not know whether the Pope is the Antichrist himself or his apostle. So wretchedly in decrees does he corrupt and crucify Christ, 
that is the truth. So this is in February of 1519, and Luther's already beginning to think that the Pope does not have absolute authority. And as a matter of fact, he's beginning to characterize the Pope as the Antichrist. This is, this is one of the, this is the first time that I know of that Luther actually calls the Pope Antichrist is in this private letter in 15, in, uh, in February of 1519. So in scripture, the Antichrist that Paul writes to the Thessalonians about is the one who comes from within the church that makes himself greater than Christ. Now, my salvation is rooted in my faith in Jesus Christ. The reason that Luther will start to define the office of the Pope as the Antichrist is that Luther understands the Pope is explaining, obedience to me will give you salvation. Disobedience to me sends you to hell. So what is the point of contact with God? Is it Christ and Christ alone? Or is it Christ only and always through the Pope? That's for what Luther is starting to consider. And, and this is actually an area, I, 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 my understanding of Catholic theology, you know, is that the, the, the Roman Catholic Church has stepped away from this. You know, the, 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 actually, they, they have sort of a version of it, uh, but they, they are, we'll call it very generous with their grace. So it's like they'll, they'll say that, oh, you, you Lutherans, you're, you're close to the truth. So, you know, we're going to let you into heaven too. Yeah. And it's going to be something along those lines. There's this, this, um, and, and they, and it's actually been, I've, I've read some recent, uh, articles and I, I don't trust newspaper articles about theology, but I'm going to reference one right here. So, you know, take it, take this with a grain of salt. Uh, was that the, uh, they said, you know, the Pope is, is opening the doors to, you know, atheists to you know whatever there's like he's opened the doors wide to everybody you know he let uh, lutherans in and you know baptists and you know now it's you know, whoever out there so there's this the roman catholic church continues to struggle with these ideas and they're trying to find it's that some... question of where the true church is yeah and, and so if, and, have, if the they're... purest church this is it no longer the church if you take this away or if you take that away. I could almost imagine like a flower with a bunch of petals. How many petals can you remove before it's no longer the church? And for Martin Luther, as he's investigating papal authority, he's recognizing that you can take lots of things away. But if you take away the word of God, if you take away how God communicates and nourishes his church through baptism and the Lord's Supper and the offering of the forgiveness of sins. You take those things away, it doesn't it isn't the church anymore. In that explanation of what defines the church, the Pope's not there at all. So, you know, and I, if, if any Catholics have better understanding, which I, I'm certain many, many Catholics have much better understanding about yes. Catholic theology than I do, please write us and let us know, let me know. Uh, where I'm wrong because I, I I'm just like I said I'm referencing some article I read that I I don't really know how much I trust these newspaper articles. I think as we get into the Babylonian captivity or talk about the small called articles, we'll get more into that uh, because at the same time as Martin Luther wrote the small called articles, Philip Melanchthon wrote in 1537 the treatise on the power and primacy of the Pope. And I think as we get into that later part, as the church, the evangelical church that Luther and the princes are starting to establish there in Germany and how they distinguish the authority of that church versus the authority of Rome, 
I think we'll have a, a, another chance to talk about this. Fantastic. So a few weeks before the debate, so the, the, the weeks are, are, are continuing to go by. The, the debate, I think it's August, uh, August or July July of uh, 1519, I think was the, the date. June 24th, they arrive in Leipzig. Ah, okay, so June, June, June and early July of 1519. Uh, but leading up a few weeks before the debate, Luther published a resolution where he stated that the Pope wasn't infallible. So talk about a broadside heading into the debate. Luther was already, you know, getting ready to, to uh, really, you know, gearing up for a fight here. Uh, he called the final authority, uh, and he said it couldn't be called the final authority on the interpretation of Scripture. So, so Luther is already, like we said, drawing the lines leading into the Augs- uh, the Leipzig debate, and and that's not, you know, Eck, Luther, Luther. I'll say um, Luther uh, transmitted. He 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 let Eck know what he wanted to talk about, and Eck did his research leading into yeah. that debate. And Eck, Eck was prepared. The, yeah, he revised the theses for the debate a few times. Eck did, and thesis well, Luther, thirteen is the one that really becomes the the big one, which is about the role of the papacy. Luther is uh, attacking the claim of the Pope to be the head of Christendom, and. There is, even in the time of this moment here, Luther's not the only one that's talking about this. The conciliary movement, which has been moving through Europe uh, th- through much of the Middle Ages, is questioning, is the church of greater authority when it meets in council than just through the Pope? And okay. so the conciliary movement is another option besides the Pope being the only authority, uh, final authority for the teaching authority of the church, but the council uh, whether it's the Council of this or the Council of that. And so a lot of people in this dispute between Luther and Rome appeal for a council because they're relying on the idea that when the bishops of the church gather together in a council, uh, there is uh, greater authority. Right. And Luther's even against the conciliary movement because he says the yeah. ultimate authority is the word of God. Eventually. Mm-hmm. I, I think in 15... Well, he still calls for councils. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, well, here we are. So, what are the, the, the topics for the debate? There, it starts out with 12. And those 12 are things like purgatory, treasure of merit, and so forth. And the debate is supposed to be just between Eck and Karlstadt. Luther's name is not on the bill at this, to, to begin, at the beginning of this, all of this. Now, Luther comes back, according to what I read, Luther was the one who said, no, no, I want to talk about the authority of the Pope. That's the I, at least that's what my research said was that Luther was the one that put that thirteenth article okay. of discussion in there. So uh, and that so he was he was just itching for that. So so the 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 topics are are settled now. The, it's time for the debate. So the 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 Wittenbergers, uh, you know, all the, you have the professors from Wittenberg along with a bunch of students. When I read this, just for people that are listening to what Mike's about to share, if you've seen the movie Hoosiers and their basketball team is going for an away game and across the Indiana uh, farm fields, there's a road and you just see this long line of cars behind the team bus to arrive for their away games gym. That's the scene of the Wittenberg students arriving in Leipzig. So there's about 200 students who traveled from Wittenberg to Leipzig to 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 really to to assist their to support their 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 professors. And in the lead carriage is Andreas Karlstadt, 
um, who the debate is most expressly uh, defined for, and he has with him a passport that will give the entire delegation permission to enter Ducal Saxony. Now, what is a the passport, as I understood it, is that a passport is almost like um, a, a certificate of safe conduct in this era. Mm-hmm. So that that what Karlstadt is carrying, he's carrying a certificate of safe conduct for, for himself and for everybody in his... That now, whole... he's also making a statement that everyone that's with him will conduct themselves properly. Uh, all these university students are carrying with them their themselves, but they might have uh, pennants, spears with pennants hanging from them. And if you could imagine Leipzig uh, seeing these students arrive with Wittenberg, they might look like a threatening horde ready to attack. Well, and and next... so Karlstadt's giving, besides safe passage to his students, he's also saying, our students aren't going to harm you. Supposedly, they were armed. I mean, they, yeah. they had swords. They're ready to fight. They They... They were concerned that their professors were going to be taken hostage. I think some of that, I think it's also just students that are uh, getting ready to go to the competitor's uh, gym and and battle them. Leipzig and Wittenberg, competing universities, uh, both of them are are ready to say, all right, let's let's stand up. Let's go. Let's go. Now, the the, the bad thing happened, actually. Karlstadt is coming into town. He's taking a turn. And the wheel falls off his wagon. Right by the local cemetery. And it throws him off the wagon into a puddle of mud. But uh, also possibly all of his books that he had footnoted, put in margin, uh, ribbons for remembering to talk about this and remember to talk about that. Uh, and some take the as a sign. At least Karl the time. Yeah. The Leipzigers all said, ah, Karlstadt's going to lose. So they wait a few days to get the debate started. While they wait, uh, the Wittenberg students stay at a local public house uh, where they pick fights with the locals, sometimes using their fists, fists, sometimes using their swords. Uh, But the obstacles and delays are also going to be a problem for all these students. Kind of like college students today, they didn't come with a lot of money. And so they're not able to stick around if this debate is long delayed. And the debate does get delayed for quite a while. There's 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 a few things that go on here. Uh, first of all, the bishop says that he doesn't want the ba- debate to happen, and and Duke George says no. He overrules the bishop and says we're having this debate because Duke George was in charge of the school, and so he says the debate can happen at the school. And and, and now Duke George, Duke George was very very theologically astute. And conservative. And conservative. Very, uh, very, as a matter of fact, uh, this, that area of Germany is still very Roman Catholic. Duke George was known to place spies in places so that he could hear whether people were, um, talking about and supporting Luther. And then he would arrest them. Okay. So, so the, what ends up happening is as the debate is, so Karlstadt arrives, Eck is there. They're going to start working out the, the final details of the debate. And the whole thing almost falls off the rails right there. Because the question is, who's going to take notes? Now, it may seem like a trivial thing to figure out who is going to be the secretary of the debate. But Eck was known for his debating style where he would get louder than his opponent. So that people could not hear the opponent. They would only hear Eck. And then finally they would assume, because Eck was so loud, he must have won the debate. And, and then Eck also had a, a, a reputation for making you know, 
bold statements that would work in a in a in a verbal debate, but oh, uh, like a hundred and forty character Twitter statement <laughs> that then later on, when you're in a different group of people, you might have to walk back. That sort of thing. That sort of thing. I'm not sure what you're, you have in mind there, but yeah, something along those lines. So Eck was. Eck was sort of a, a blustery personality, a lot of personality, very likable guy. Because you see at the end of the debate, the question is who wins the debate? And that's not going to be investigated um, just by who was there. So Eck wanted the judges to be figured out after the debate. Because there's going to be a winner and a loser in a debate. And so Eck thought, let's get the judges after the debate. And, and then they're like, no, let's figure out who the judges are before the debate. All right, we'll do, let's figure out who is going to write the notes because the judges are going to evaluate the debate, not just on being in the room when it happens, but they want to also read the transcript. So X trying to get the, the, the note taker to not be so good at taking notes. So they had had lots of preparations for the debate. They thought it was settled. But after the Wittenberg team arrived, Eck announced that he wasn't happy with the selection of the notaries, those who were going to take the notes. Okay. And then, then we had the, the whole discussion on the judges. Now, you know, who else had a problem with the, with the judges? Was Luther. Luther was, he was saying, hey, how am I going to get a fair hearing in this, in this crowd, this Leipzig crowd? Yeah. Well, and at the end of the debate, um, just spoiler alert, the judges determined Luther loses the debate. And I think, you know, I, it was funny. I was reading, uh, I, I think generally it's seen that he lost that debate. He conceded before he was ready the question of the fallibility of the Pope. That maybe Luther wasn't quite fully ready to have that issue discussed in the ramifications that it did. That Eck brought out something uh, for conversation before Luther had it all the way formulated. Let's take a beer break, Mike. Okay. Um, we a nod to home city of Royal Oak. That's um, my that's my hometown. Uh, yeah, well, I, I grew up in Madison Heights, about a block away from Royal Oak. Okay. And uh, this is the Roack Brewing Brewing Company. Uh, and it's based in, in, in Royal Oak, Michigan. I actually just stopped off there, uh, a few weeks ago and, and had a, a nice, uh, had this one actually. It's a live wire. Uh, good beer, good IPA. So the, it's um, a juicy beer. Oh um, yeah. Uh, and juicy beer, um, I think just reminds me of like the, the citrus. It's got a little bit of a, um, orange tartness to it. Um, I almost think of like a grapefruit maybe, but it's not fruity. It's not a weak beer. It's, it's a, still a beer. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I really, I, honestly, this is, it's, it's a good IPA. It's actually a very mellow IPA. I, I think it's, yeah. uh, it comes, goes down real smooth. Uh, I, I really like this beer. Um, there was, I, I was looking through their website. They, it's a small brewery. I was surprised that you can find it in most grocery stores. I found it in the local grocery store here. I think Michigan breweries are starting to figure that out, that you can't have just a tap room, uh, that you make your presence known by being present at Meyer and some of the other grocery stores. I'm, I'm pretty impressed with Meyer's uh, craft brewery aisle. Kroger's has a pretty good craft brewery mm -hmm. aisle. There's... So this is I picked this one up at Kroger, and I really like it. I was really surprised to see Roack there. 
Uh, Roak, by the way, means what fire? I think in in Dutch. Well, and where there's smoke, there's fire. I guess. <laughs> I guess so. And where there's Roak, there is fire and passion for what they do, do and the beers they make. Yeah, now they're they, playing off that, aren't they? they? They really are. So they've got the. the there's really they're, they're looking for quality. They're looking for uh, creativity. Creativity, which is, uh, and then they really one thing that I was impressed by was they support their community, and I thought that was real nice. They talk in their website about helping out the the boys and girls club there. In uh, in Royal Oak, and I, I you know, I'm very familiar with that 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 boys and girls club just down the street from Roak Brewery. As a matter of fact, there's a there's a real nice uh, boys and girls club right there that really does a great job serving that community. So these guys seem to be doing a great job. They certainly have a great beer here. I really like this Live Wire. So now let's let's dive back into 1519. The debate is getting the, all the rules are finally resolved. And the location of the debate had to be moved to the hall of the Duke's Castle, which was the only place big enough to accommodate all the visitors. In the middle of the hall, there's two desks set up. They're facing each other. Above the desk set up for the Wittenberg team was a picture of St. Martin in honor of the saint that Martin Luther was named after. And then on the other side, on X side, there was a picture of of St. George killing the dragon. And, and <laughs> you know, you can't really lose. I mean, that makes it pretty That's obvious. Subtle. That's That's subtle. <laughs> it's a little subtle jab. Not subtle at all, actually. But yeah. <laughs> so the, it's obvious that they're looking to have, you know, Johann Eck, you know, kill the dragon of Martin Luther and the evangelical theology, save the day, and, and hurrah, hurrah. So then Eck adds a rule. Now remember Carl Stott's carriage turning by the local cemetery. Um, there's an accident. And wheel comes off. Well, now X addition. He asks that the two debaters, Karlstadt and Eck, do their debate by memory. So Karlstadt really relied on books. Karlstadt had and, and smart man, but he, he needed a book in front of him. Yeah, yeah. He he was very very sharp, but like like Evan said, he he needed books, and so he all of his notes are gone. All of you know everything's a mess. All his preparation, and then Eck comes in with this extra rule that says you have to debate by memory. And now if Karlstadt would have insisted, no, I need my books, I mean, he just would have looked weak. And so he, they agree with it. The debate goes for a week, and it is boring. Karlstadt and Eck are talking about the role of free will and the performing of good works, and all of these Wittenbergers that had arrived with their, their flags and their spears and their swords. Ah, it now, is just hard to I stay mean, can you those. can In you, the summer. Uh, can you imagine five days of talking about free will? People were falling asleep. Oh, it was it was brutal. The students got frustrated. Now Luther even Luther even comments on it. Luther Luther writes. He goes, "Oh my goodness, this is just a murdering of time. I can't believe this." I would want to write that. This debate has been wretched, a mere murdering of time. I, I have a few things in my life I could write that about. Um, you know, this could be the new thing that I might you know message someone. This has become a mere murdering of my time. Like watching uh, the Tigers in the eighth inning as their bullpen falls apart. This is a murdering of time. <laughs> this is a murdering of time. So, so we got the you know. So this is just going on. So it's 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 absolutely miserable by everybody's uh, everybody's saying. And, and so they they take a break. And the Bishop of Merseburg asks Luther to preach. 
and he was going to preach there in the chapel, but so many people wanted to attend. They moved it to the disputation hall, um, and there, by all accounts, his preaching was impressive. Uh, it showed in his preaching that the issues that they are discussing is about the salvation of people's souls, that they are really not just seeking just a, a notch in their badge of saying, I was better than this kind of debate. Now, the interesting thing is he, he, de- he preached specifically on two things. At least the two notes that I've got here is that he preached on free will, which is what they had spent the last week talking about. Mm-hmm. And then he also preached on the power of the Pope. And so, so he's, he's really doing, and, he takes a week's worth of debate, boils it down into, I don't know, probably, you know, I don't know how long his sermon was. Sermons were longer in those days. Uh, I think, let's say maybe 45 minutes, half hour, hour, you know, something around that that kind of time. And everybody was just, this is the guy who should be talking. This is the guy who needs to be in this debate. Everybody sees that during this preaching. And as a matter of fact, if you go to Leipzig today... I think the building Luther preached in, they talk about, you know, this is, this, that's still there. You know, they're, they, that's part of the tour of Leipzig. It is, it is not a long sermon. Uh, the sermon was preached on the festival of St. Peter and St. Paul. Okay. On Matthew chapter 16. Okay. And that is an interesting text for the sermon because it gives him a chance to preach on that confession of, upon you, this rock, I will build my oh, church. Okay. Okay. And so there, uh, his sermon has just two parts to it. The first part is the grace of God and how our will is not free by sin, but only by God's revelation in the spirit. Are we able to choose God? Um, he, he shows that free will of man, uh, praise and extol it as you will. He says can do absolutely nothing of itself and is not free in its own volition to know or to do good, but only in the grace of God. And then the second part of the sermon is on the power of St. Peter. And he says that, uh, See to it that you never doubt, and the writ is so, that you should rather die many times than doubt the priest's judgment. It is Christ and God's judgment. And there, uh, in that second part of the sermon, Martin Luther is making it clear that when the priest speaks judgment or when the priest speaks forgiveness, he is not doing so of his own authority as a priest, but entirely because he is speaking for Christ. And this is still a huge uh, difference between the Roman Catholic Church and the, and the Lutheran Church is that that specific interpretation of that of that 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 verse. And in Luther's works, that sermon takes up pages fifty six to sixty in volume fifty one. So I mean, it's probably like a ten minute sermon, fifteen minute sermon. Yeah, about that. Wow. So okay, so Monday hits and Luther back to debate. All right, back here we to go. the debate. And so Luther comes and and Luther is now stepping into the ring. And the entire tone of the debate changes. Instead of free will, adjust the subject matter to discuss the authority of the Pope. Um, Eck seems to have made a few missteps. On Tuesday, he was able to associate Luther with the teachings of Jan Hus, a bohemian who had been killed at the Council of Constance for heresy. Although Luther later on is going to find out he agrees a lot with Jan Hus. At this point, he's not ready to have his name completely attached to this. Well, what was interesting was that, so what I read was, first of all, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, the Bohemians. Because this this concept of the Bohemians, the Bohemians are a group of people based in Prague, centered in Prague, Czech Republic. And uh, they're followers of Jan Hus, and and they're the Leipzigers hate them. The 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 Leipzig the folks of Leipzig hate 
the Bohemians. Because the Bohemians have this bad habit of coming and attacking Leipzig. Now, so the Bohemians, uh, with Jan Hus, they advocated for reading the scriptures in a language that people could understand and for offering the Lord's Supper in both the bread and the wine to the lay people. So let's just, I'm going to just take a, one more moment and sort of try and frame up how much the Leipzig folks were afraid of the Bohemians. Uh, earlier in the debate... I feel like this is where you say, it's cold. And I ask, well, how cold is it? And then there's a joke coming. <laughs> How much did they dislike? <laughs> Unfortunately, it's not a joke. I, I wish I had a good joke. No, there's here. no joke here. But the uh, the uh, so the, a rumor spread that the Bohemians from Prague were coming to attend the debate, and, and so Duke George has to put up extra guards uh, to fight with the Bohemian hordes if they ever show up. And it's just it, it's you get an idea of how much hatred. There was between Leipzig. There was and no European Union yet. <laughs> there was no U- EU. Yeah. So they 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 should have gotten some. So you know, Eck brings up Jan Hus to get Luther's name attached to the Bohemians. Uh, Jan Hus had argued against the authority of the Pope, um, but Jan Hus, who had been given safe passage to the Council of Constance, once he spoke his mind at the Council of Constance, was burned at the stake. Um, and so Eck really says, um, how long have you been beating your wife? I mean, that's kind of the state question here. How long have you been agreeing with this heretic Jan Hus? Yeah. So Luther, and uh, uh, one of my, you know, in my research, and I didn't capture it in my notes here, but you know, in my research, what Luther does is at lunchtime, you know, He's got to do some quick investigation. He does some quick, and he runs out to the library. He digs up some of Huss's work. He reads it, and he comes back and he says, "Well, yeah, I, I sort of do agree with him." And, I mean, it's like here he is. He's in the middle of Leipzig, and he says, "You know, I I agree with him." And furthermore, you know, not only does the Pope not have the authority, not only that, the 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 councils don't have the authority to go up against the Word of God captured in the Scriptures. Mm-hmm. And so, so Luther takes what Huss said and takes it to the next level rather than, you know, and so this is almost by, you know, it depends on what you call winning the debate, but to, to have your, your opponent uh, align themselves with a, with a quote unquote known heretic is, you know, that's where Luther, Luther walked out of there and, and pretty much everybody in, in Leipzig believed that Luther lost that debate. So Remember the beginning charge that Eck was bringing against Luther, that Luther was harming the church by bringing up the 95 Theses, the indulgences, by disparaging the Pope. Now, indeed, Luther might have been harming Rome, but he was not harming the church. Because for Luther, the church, above all things, is characterized by three things. Baptism the Lord's Supper, and above all, the proclamation of the Word of God. And so Luther, in the rest of his life, is going to, anybody who attacks him as hurting the church, he's going to say, where have I hurt baptism? Where have I hurt the Lord's Supper? Where have I hurt the proclamation of the Word of God? Take away any of the institutions that we would call, call like the big Gothic cathedral or something like that. He doesn't mind hurting those things. Sure. But if it was pointed out to Luther that he had hurt baptism, Lord's Supper, or the proclamation of the Word of God, he would have walked back from what he said. So what ends up happening, the rest of the debate is sort of inconsequential. Really not much goes they on. They talk about purgatory, indulgences, other items. But really, 
after that moment of what is the church, it's not the Pope, it's the Word of God, things kind of, everyone realizes the high point of the debates happened. Yeah, and, and everybody knows the lines are drawn. Now, purgatory, you have to remember, 1519, Luther is still sort of fuzzy on purgatory. Well, it, for Luther, there is still this necessity that you enter heaven perfect. People understood perfection, they understood sin, and they understood the judgment of God. And if you have sinned and you die, what happens to that? Now, uh, Luther comes up with some pretty good explanations later on, and that is, it's carried by Jesus Christ to the cross. Yeah. Luther even leaves the debate before the judges come with their announcement, because uh, he'd been gone from Wittenberg for about a month. At that point, he was behind in some work, and the rules of the debate required Karlstadt to be present to give the final arguments. So Luther had no reason to stay. And so Luther's gone, the debate, you know, Karlstadt gives the final arguments, everybody, you know, packs up and leaves. I've been to some conferences, Mike. Have you been to a conference where it's a two and a half day conference? So say Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday morning. Okay. Wednesday morning, no one's there. And it's sort of like that. It's the getaway day. It's the getaway day. So everybody, so Luther, and I'm, not, I'm sure he's not the only one who got, you know, took a fast train out of town. So he, he's, he's, he's gone. And my guess is most of the people are gone. They have the, the final, you know, whatever it is, closing and boom, gone. It's done. That so, wins the debate. August of 1519, Luther receives a letter. He's now back in Wittenberg. And Luther receives a letter by Johann Eck that's been written to the noble that is protecting Martin Luther, Frederick the Wise. And in the letter, what does Eck say about Luther? He says he's a heretic. So now Eck has formally called Luther a heretic by, aligning, by, by linking him to Johann Huss, or John Huss. Johann Huss? Jan. Jan Huss. Jan Huss. Jan Huss. And, uh, and now, you know, Frederick the Wise is sort of in a, a, a pickle a little bit. But I guess John, Johann Eck doesn't really have the authority to call Luther a heretic. So, so, so. But Luther is able to stand steadfast because uh, only Christ could be called the head of the church. I mean, Luther has been called to account for saying the church must rely on Jesus. I think Luther is okay for. Okay on that one. So, and now Luther's, Luther really, this is the first time in the Leipzig debate is the first time, like Evan said, the, 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 the difference in the view of the church is clearly defined. This is also the first time that Luther clearly enunciates his doctrine of sola scriptura. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is where the lines, it's in the Leipzig debate that the lines are really, really drawn. Between and this is also where the cleavage between the clergy and the laity, between the spiritual estate and the secular, uh, is Luther said wrong. He says that we must understand that the clergy and the laity all stand together under the same judgment of God and will find salvation in the same way, only through the mercy of God. So that's another, another line of thought that we've been tracking in these podcasts is this idea of equality, this, this idea of what does it mean? Where does our equality come from? And in Luther's view, equality comes from our, our equal standing as sinners before the throne of God and our equal share in grace of Jesus Christ. And so there is ecumenical conversations that happen between Lutherans and Catholics. And uh, sometimes the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod is a part of those. Sometimes they're excluded. Lutheran World Federation has largely taken the Lutheran banner in those dialogues. And a lot of it comes around this question. Where is the true church? Okay. And I think that's still the Leipzig debate still rings true to me. Um, 
is the church defined by the apostolic authority of the Pope, or is the church defined by the creating power of the Word of God to give and share faith? And this is still the, the critical point that is discussed in ecumenical discussions. And, uh, you know, it, it's obvious where, where Evan and I stand on this, but it's uh, it certainly is, it's great to have the Leipzig debate. And I want to, you know, you have to sort of, Tip your hat to Johann Eck and, and Martin Luther for clearly enunciating the what is the issue. And, and in today's, we'll say today's political uh, environment, it's so difficult to get a clear enunciation of exactly what's going on. What are the differences between us uh, that, that you can actually say, okay, yeah, this is the problem. What's great in this era is that the, the, the folks were able to come to a clear, okay, it's the meaning of the church. It's the meaning of the word word of God or the power of the word of God within that church. That's that's what's what this is all about. So thank you to Josh Yegley. Thank you to St. Paul Lutheran in Hamburg, Michigan. Uh, thanks to our resource materials. Uh, we had uh, Luther Reformer by James Kittleson. That's that's becoming a favorite of mine. I really, really enjoy that book. That's a good, good book. I think it does a good job of describing the texture of the moments. Uh, also, we're, we're, we're pulling together uh, one that I pull on a lot or we pull on a lot is... Uh, uh, David Whitford's Luther, A Guide for the Perplexed. I guess I have been perplexed in, in some of this, and he's done a good job clearing it up. Uh, there was a great book from way back uh, in the, I'm going to say, early 1900s, late eight. It's available on, on Google, Google Books. The whole book is available. Uh, it's uh, by W.H.T. Dow, The Leipzig Debate. And this is really most of today's podcast came from this because this goes back to like Evan has mentioned in a previous podcast, a previous episode was that in that era, people were going into the details of exactly what happened. And it's in this book that this uh, WHT Dow goes through the trouble of saying day by day, what happened in the Leipzig debate. And so this, what you've just heard is a quick summary of that book. And really very interesting, at least, you know, for us. And volume 31 of Luther's works, Around page 311 is another good spot. Encyclopedia Britannica and Sean Dortry, Theological and Economic Ethics, Martin Luther and Archer Rich in Dialogue. So if you want to get in touch with us, you can catch us at uh, graceontap.podcast at gmail.com. And graceontap-podcast.com is our website where we post every episode, usually with a list of the resources, a link to the beer that we featured, and um, other items. And then we also have a, a Facebook page that we're, we're using actually quite a bit, uh, more and more all the time. Uh, that's uh, the Grace on Tap, all one word. And uh, there might be a couple of Grace, I think there's a couple of Grace on Taps on there. Just look for the one that says podcast. Uh, also, uh, we had talked at the beginning but we're also going to have the, the upcoming road trip. If you want to see us in person, live and breathing, uh, we're going to be there in Clinton Township on June 7th. Details on the website and in our Facebook page. Okay, well. Prost. Prost. Prost.